Amen. Thank you, ladies. Heavenly Father, as we come to the preaching of your word tonight, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of us giving our attention on purpose. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, would be able to use both my voice and our attention, uh, Lord, to receive what you would have for us tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, uh, Lord, just have your way and help us to understand the importance of a few minutes listening to a sermon truth from the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and then we'll look at a verse in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to preach tonight three things you should not be surprised by. Three things you should not be surprised by. Typically, I would preach just about one single thing in a message, but tonight I want to give you three things, which means it'll take me an hour and a half instead of 30 minutes, and uh, you are listening. I thank you. I appreciate that. Now, I was just joking, so you can laugh, and we'll go back to the rest of our time for the message, but three things that we should not be surprised at. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we have a warning that there is a lion that is on the loose and he is searching for a prey to devour. And the warning is, be careful now. When you go outside the church tonight, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go home tonight, when you face the difficulties and the responsibilities of the week, be careful because there is hiding, there is crouching, there is a lion. He doesn't want to scare you, he wants to devour you. And now if you'll be sober, if you'll be vigilant, you can avoid the surprise attack of that lion. Now, the Bible is talking about the devil. We say, oh, preacher, I, I was scared there for a minute. I thought there was a real lion. I'm not scared anymore. The truth is there ought to be more concern that the devil is after us. And said, so be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the one who is against you. And he's against you because you and I bring glory to God. He wants that glory. I'm not going to give him that glory. I'm going to give the glory who it belongs to. For it is Christ that died for my sin. It is Christ that redeemed me to the Father. All glory belongs to him. And so the instruction of being sober and being vigilant is because that the devil seeks to devour us. Go back, if you will, to chapter 4 and verse number 12. And he says... Beloved, think it not strange, think it not odd, think it not out of the ordinary concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now Peter is writing to a church that is under persecution. And I mean the persecution is not uh, writing articles in the newspaper. The persecution that they're facing is uh, the worst of all the history of mankind and the history of the church. Nero was a persecuting Caesar. He hated Christians. 
And it's interesting to me, I, I, I made this note in the sermon. For the first 300 years of the church, the church was in the world. The church was despised, it was hated, it was persecuted. It was locked in a life and death that struggled with a pagan society. Nero tried to destroy Christianity. I'll come back to that in just a moment, but I want to make a note that Constantine came along and he saw that the church, the more it was persecuted, the more it advanced, the more it grew. So what he did was, instead of persecute the church, he re, it was a, a persecution was replaced by patronage. And that destroyed the church. For you see, the church can survive and thrive as long as the church is in the world. But when the world gets in the church, that's a death sentence for the church. In time, the church itself became the, get this statement, in time, Constantine changed. He said, I can't destroy them, so rather than destroy them, I'm going to unite the temporal and spiritual powers. I'll make the world more like the church and see if I can get the church to be more like the world. And he did so, and the church itself became the persecutor of those who resisted its carnality. A sad part of history as it relates to the church, but is a lesson for you and I today. Church historian Andrew Miller gives the following graphic account of the fiery trial that was raging in Peter's day to the church. The first legal persecution of the Christians, and in some of its features it stands alone in the annals of human barbarity. Inventive cruelty sought out new ways of torture to satisfy the bloodthirsty Nero, the most cruel emperor that ever reigned. The gentle, peaceful, unoffending followers of the Lord Jesus were sewn in the skins of wild beasts and were then torn by dogs. Others were wrapped in a kind of dress that was smeared with wax and with pitch and other combustible matter with a stake driven under their chin to keep them upright. They were set on fire. And when people would go to popular amusements, a burning Christian was used to light the gardens of popular amusements. Nero used his own gardens for these exhibitions and he gave entertainments for the people. He took an active part in the games himself, sometimes mingling with the crowd on foot, sometimes viewing the awful spectacle from his chariot. But accustomed as these people were to public execution, this got my attention, as accustomed as these people were to public executions and gladiator shows, they were moved to pity by the unexampled cruelties inflicted on the Christian. They saw, the public began to see, this is no longer a hatred of Christianity. This is a desire to satisfy the wickedness of the mind of 
of Nero. The church grew. Many stories could be told about the church in that day. You and I do not suffer persecution in the church as these did. However, I must say the devil fights against us and we must expect that our faith is going to be tried. You see, while some survived the attack of Nero, they fell to the compromise of Constantine. Regardless of which is most tempting for you and I as a Christian, I want us to understand we should never be surprised that Satan is our adversary and he is working to find an opportunity to devour you and me in our Christian life. And so I want to say tonight, be sober, be vigilant. Don't be surprised by the devil and the trials of your faith. One of the ways one army would overcome that of another was not to use just the brute force of their army, of their machinery, of their guns, or even their manpower, but was to find a place of attack of surprise. And finding a, a, a group of soldiers that were off guard, they could surprise attack, and oftentimes a few soldiers could inflict more casualty on many soldiers than two armies going head to head. Now, Peter said, I want to tell you something. Satan wants to surprise you. He wants to bring a trial in your life that would bring shock and surprise. By the way, when, when you and I are surprised, when we are shocked, Several difficult things happen and, and that's why Peter is warning us here that we're to be sober so that the devil does not surprise us with attack. For you see, alarm and surprise causes our thinking to be cloudy and troubled. Alarm brings a fear that often paralyzes our actions. So the Bible says when you live life fulfilling your responsibilities as an individual, as a family person, as a church member, don't be surprised that the devil wants to attack and try your faith. Expect trials to come. Now, if I expect them to come, it doesn't mean that in any way I enjoy them. It doesn't mean in any way I have them all figured out and I can win, but it does help me to put a plan in action so when the trials of life come, I can win and I can continue in my Christian life. No matter our situation or circumstances this evening, Satan is going to try to surprise us by attacking our minds, our spirits, our families, our finances. In some way, the devil finds a way constantly to bring our faith under trial. Now, here's what he wants to do. He wants us to say, well, I don't, even need, I don't know if God is able or not. He wants to try my faith. 
don't be surprised. Can I tell you, if Satan is bold, brave, brass enough to come to Jesus after 40 days of fasting to try to try his faith or tempt his faith, he is certainly going to come to you and I. Satan attacked Paul. Satan attacked John Mark. Satan attacked Peter. And he used deceptions. He used enticements. By the way, one of the things that we have to be careful of is blessings. Because sometimes blessings cause pride. And there's never a door more open or a greater opportunity than the opportunity of pride for Satan to get in my life. Isn't it amazing how God can use us in a way that's so amazing and such a, I mean, just overwhelming to realize that God would use us to win a lost sinner to Christ, to teach a Bible truth, to help someone along the way, to be an assistance. What a blessing. And, and it gives you a wonderful feeling. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you keep that inside. You say, Lord, I want to thank you for that opportunity. Because if I keep that glory inside, I open the door and the devil says right there's a target can I tell you that when a lion is searching its prey and it's watching from a distance a, a group of animals that it would prey upon like uh, uh, lambs or goats or whatever the case may be he's always looking for one that's just outside the fold He's always looking for one that has that opportunity. And I want to say tonight, don't be surprised by it, but expect that trials of our faith are going to come. I'll give, I'll give us four statements at the end that we'll use to deal with all three things I'm mentioning tonight in the message. Three things not to be surprised about. First of all, do not, do not be surprised by trials. Second of all, don't be surprised by doubt. One of the tools of the devil is to sow seeds of doubt in my mind. I've often said this, my, my enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now think about that. My own flesh sides with the world. My own flesh sides with the devil. I better yield to the Holy Spirit of God within me because this flesh is going to introduce doubt into my mind. Now I want to warn you tonight, doubt is going to come. One of the things that, devil, that the devil often says is you're the only one that doubts. You're not. Doubt comes to all of us. Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden and Satan got her to doubt the Word of God. He wants me to doubt, first of all, His Word. Just doubt his word. Did God mean what he said? Can I tell you something? God meant what he said. This book stands through the ages of time. He wants me to doubt his word. He wants me to doubt his will, questioning, did I do the right thing? For you see, we make decisions in faith, but we come to times of difficulty. And those times of difficulty, they test or they try our faith. And the devil uses that as an opportunity to put doubt in our minds. Not to doubt just the word of God, but to doubt the will of God. The devil wants us to doubt his word. He wants us to doubt his will. He wants us to doubt his work. Sometimes the work that we do in reaching others with the gospel and helping others, sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we desire it to. 
Sometimes there's a negative reaction. Sometimes there's a criticism. Sometimes there's so much difficulty in the work that we begin to doubt it. Now I want you to hear me well. Don't be surprised when doubt comes. I'll tell us what to do with that doubt in a moment. I want to show you an illustration, Luke chapter 7. I want you to notice an illustration, uh, Luke chapter 7. And this in this passage is talking about John Baptist here. Uh, John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7. Now, you know who John is. John is the forerunner of Christ. He's six months older than the Lord Jesus. It was the will of God that he would be the forerunner. And I love the statement. I, I can't think of John the Baptist without seeing or imagining in my, minds, uh, in my mind and hearing the words of John say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. But John has come to the place that his work, his race, his nearly run. Uh, John is in jail. John died by being beheaded because of his speaking up against immorality, against the adultery of the king. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. Now you better listen to what I'm telling you right here because we need to know that doubt is coming. I need to know what to do with doubt when it comes. Luke 7, verse number 19, the Bible says, and John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? You talk about a statement of doubt. John the Baptist says, Jesus, are you really the Christ? John, wait a minute. You're the one that is the forerunner of Christ. What, what, what are you asking of anybody that would doubt? How could John ever doubt that Jesus was the Christ? He said to two of his helpers, two of his followers, two of his disciples, John is in jail. John will be beheaded and he sends two of his disciples. You see, the circumstances that John has come under, the devil has said to him, just like he said to us, if God really loved you, would he let this happen? If God really cared about you, would he let you face such difficulty? Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Verse 20. When the men were coming to him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another. Now I want you to notice the tenderness of the response of the Lord Jesus. And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues. And of evil spirits and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them. Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. And how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus then turns to the crowd and he begins to talk about John the Baptist. And Jesus said there's none greater than John the Baptist, but John dealt with doubt. Preacher, have you ever doubted 
salvation. Every time I read this book, I receive assurance to my salvation. You, you, you say, but preacher, I'm not worried about the Bible. I'm worried if I said the right words. There are no magic words. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, we believe in our heart. Confession is made and he takes not a disciple, he takes not a, not a, a seasoned servant, but he takes a child in the midst and he said, this is the example of faith. It is not faith 404, it's faith 101. That's the faith of salvation. That's what it takes to be born again. You say, but what if I didn't understand it all? Can I tell you something? In 20 years, you'll think you didn't understand it all today. I know more about him today than I did five years ago. I know more about him than I did certainly 50 years ago when I trusted Christ as Savior. But I understand that salvation is given. And can I tell you something, dear friend? Doubt is going to come. Don't be surprised. I'm telling you, if John the Baptist doubted, Thomas actually got the name that he was a doubter. Thomas said, they said he's risen. Think about this. I'm not going to believe it unless I can see and touch. I know some folks that would say, well, Thomas wasn't saved. No way he could be saved. Anybody have that kind of doubt? Are you listening to me? John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. Then the disciples said, now Lord, where are you going? And I don't know how to get there. And I'm thinking, you mean you've been helping to spread the gospel and before Jesus leaves, you're asking him where he's going and have you not paid attention in one class? You graduate Friday night. Doubt is a part of the things that we deal with in this old flesh. That's why I'm glad that God gave me this precious and wonderful book. And every time I read it, it drives my doubts away. It increases my faith and I understand the love of Christ, the grace of God, the simplicity of salvation. Don't be surprised when doubt comes. Don't be surprised by trials. Don't be surprised by doubts. And last of all, don't be surprised by fear. Now, while all of these are similar, they are different as you look at the Scripture. Don't be afraid of fear. Let's begin in Proverbs chapter 3. Don't be afraid, or I'm sorry, don't be surprised when fear comes. Look at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 24. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 24. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. What a wonderful verse. Verse 25. Be not afraid of sudden fear. What? I thought you just said to lay down in peace and go to sleep and not be afraid. Fear is going to come. Don't be afraid of sudden fear. 
neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. Verse 26, for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Fear is going to come. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm number 27. Psalm number 27, there are two battles that are going on. The first battle is the fact that Absalom has worked to undermine the respect for the people and he is working to steal the throne from his father David. This has gone on for so many years and to the place that Absalom now has an army an army he believes is strong enough to overcome the armies of Israel. They're going to engage in battle. David finds out and he flees. Notice, if you will, in verse number 9. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Look at verse 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's not a chapter I can find in the Bible that goes from the strongest faith I can find to statements of fear that's quite like Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse number 7, he's crying to God, Lord, I need your help. He has run from the enemy, he's gone to a place of hiding. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Boy, we can stop right there and shout a while. Amen. <laughs> it's easy to shout because our fears are locked outside and our trials are outside and the lion is outside. Boy, I tell you, I'm trusting in God. I won't be afraid of anything. Look at verse number 3. Uh, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Look at verse number 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And he goes on to talk about the faith that he has in God. And he desires that faith. He hungers for that faith. He holds to that faith. And yet when word comes that the armies have engaged in battle, when word comes that his army and the army of Israel could be defeated, and word comes that he could lose his throne, and he Here's the cursing of those that uh, were supposedly his friends. David begins to cry because fear comes to his heart. Can I tell you tonight, there are going to be times that you and I are going to be afraid. There are going to be times that we feel like we're all alone. But can I tell you in our times of fear, we're not alone. We just think we are. Now I love what the psalmist later said when he said, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. Have you ever been afraid because you thought you were all alone and then all of a sudden you saw someone you said, whew, I thought I was here by myself. You ever seen the fear of a child lost in a department store? That's how I felt when I foolishly tried to go to one Saturday morning. I said to my wife, what a dumb thing. I'll just run in and out. 
I ran in and got trapped. I had to go through 14 aisles just to get my way back out. But anyway, I was like the little boy standing there scared to death. I thought I was lost. Tapped me on the shoulder. Oh, I'm glad my wife is still right there. I wasn't lost in this crazy Christmas crowd. Can I tell you fear is going to come? Teenagers, fear is going to come. College student, fears are going to come. I can't keep them from coming, but what do I do when trials come? What do I do when doubts come? What do I do when fears come? First of all, I go to the scripture because the word of God is always right. I love what the psalmist says. If we can look at it quickly in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. The psalmist said, what time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. And then in Psalm 119, he says in verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Aren't you glad when people surprise you and let you down? Aren't you surprised, aren't, aren't, aren't you glad that when, when things change around you and there's a feeling of loneliness and, and, and there is a feeling that you've been left all alone, aren't you glad that the Bible never changes? What do I do when fear comes? I run to the book. What time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. What do I do when doubt comes? I open the scripture and the Bible says in 1 John, and this is the record that I've given of my son. I love that passage. That you may know that you have eternal life. I love that. What do you do when doubts come? I go to the word of God. I find in the book of Ezra they had a will and they had a work to do. But difficulty came and as a result doubts came. But as they trusted in the word of God, Haggai came preaching and Zechariah came preaching. And when they heard the word of God, their doubts went away and they returned to the work. I say to you tonight, run to the word of God. Second of all, I want to say read it before you get scared. Read it before doubts come. Read it before fears come. You know why? You need to go to, you need to, you need to know where to run to. If for some reason I hear an intruder in my house tonight, I know the place to go to because I'm already ready. I hope it never comes, but I'm ready. I know exactly where to go. Don't you? The Word of God needs to be read every day so I'll know where to run in times of fear. I'm going to say number three, stay in the battle. Don't let trials, don't let doubts, don't let fears keep you from the battle. You don't overcome by getting out of the battle. You overcome by staying in the battle. You may not be 100%, but stay in the battle. There may be tears, but stay in the battle. There may be burdens, but stay in the battle. Don't quit. And then last of all, help others 
in their times of difficulty. Now, here's why I say this. Peter said, I'll never leave you. I'll go to the cross with you. And Jesus said, when thou art converted, Peter, strengthen your brethren. He said, you're going to find out you're not as strong as you think you are. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You know what Peter did? He gives to us these two letters here, first and second Peter. You know what he's doing? He's telling us, I've been at the place of fear. Let me tell you how to deal with that. I've been at the place of doubt. Let me tell you how to deal with that. I've been to the place of fear. Let me tell you how to deal with that. One way that doesn't work, it won't help to cut the ear off of a soldier. In other words, you can't take it into your own hands. Let me tell you what to do. And so in times of difficulty, help others with the same. Don't be surprised that trials come, doubts come, and fears come. But we can win over all of them. Stand with me if you will.